This episode of Light Source is brought to you by Squarespace.com. For fast, easy publishing of a professional website, check out photographers.squarespace.com slash ls. And when you sign up, use the promo code LS1 to receive a 10% discount. This is Nick Onkin, and you're listening to Light Source. And welcome to episode 69 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, website introducing photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer with iStockphoto.com. On today's episode, we have with us Nick Onkin, and you can check out his website at nickonkin.com. It's uh, Nick, O-N-K-E-N. He is a, well, his tagline says it best. It says, life, style, people. And that really sums up his images. Great lifestyle shots. They look like they're just very cool artistic stuff that just looks like it's just carved out of a day. And it's great stuff to look at. I'd buy his book. Yeah, he is working on one. Yeah, so we'll have to keep you guys posted when that gets published. But he's done some commercial work. He has some stuff in here on his website that he did for Nike and just some really great natural light. And some really cool lens selection, I should say, because he has some really great selective focus stuff that really grabbed me. It was really cool talking to him. And actually, his vibe kind of changed some of the music I've been listening to. I'm kind of in the beachy mood. Oh, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, aside from Nick, what's going on with StudioLighting.net, Bill? Well, I did want to mention that there's a new digital photography one-on-one episode that's live at StudioLighting.net. Our friends at Snap Factory have put out another episode. And actually share a little secret. There's going to be a bunch of them coming. Uh, Mark's really gearing up. Uh, but this particular episode is about a little more detail. He got a lot of email back and great feedback from you guys about the video that showed how to mix ambient light with artificial light. So this episode actually goes into a little bit more detail about how to read the meter and a little bit more of the technical stuff behind doing that. It's really good. So check it out. Oh, cool. I'll have to check that one out. Probably one of the the biggest things that's happened recently is Adobe Photoshop Lightroom 2 kind of snuck up on us. I mean, it was in beta for a while, and it looks like they just, just made it fully live that you can purchase a version. You can also download a free trial. Even if you were playing with the beta version, the free trial does work for an additional 30 days. So that's where I am right now, and I, I'm going to have to buy this guy because there are so many cool little features in this. Absolutely. I think this is the version for me as well. The big one for me is 64-bit support. Because of it being native and just building the Vista 64 system, it screams. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and that was always my biggest complaint with the previous version of Lightroom was that it seemed a bit sluggish. You but know what? This, That's true. This smooth. It's fast. Well, so can I do my image processing at your house then? Uh, no, because <laughs> okay. I need to just do mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've also done a lot of really cool features, I think, that even non-64-bit people will be pretty excited about. You can now process partial images or pieces of images like eyes or using masking tools like you could in Photoshop, you can actually modify portions of an image, which is kind of a big deal. And actually, right before we started the show, you were telling me about some of the other ones that I hadn't played with yet. And I had ended up clicking on the gradient mesh. And Mm -hmm. that's a really cool tool because you can take this gradient mesh and you can have it affect your exposure, brightness, contrast, saturation, clarity, color, or something else. I forget what the other one is, but you can set a parameter for one of those guys and drag your gradient over the screen. So let's say you wanted to add to your exposure. So you had a picture of a person and you wanted the top half of the image to be exposed, I don't know, say one stop higher. 
you can drag your gradient out from the top to the bottom of the screen or the top to halfway down the screen, and it will take your exposure one stop greater at the top, or at least greater exposure at the top, and then fade that one boosted exposure down the image. Nice. And you can do that adding to the exposure at the top. You could do it taking away from the exposure from the bottom to get kind of like a a horizontal vignetted effect. Right. It's almost like more and more the features that I would have to leave Lightroom to do and go back into Photoshop are being moved into Lightroom so that your workflow can really seriously be all happening inside of Lightroom. And that's what I'm excited about. Things like the healing brush are now, you know, available inside of Lightroom. And it's just, it's making it a lot easier for photographers to get things done. And some of the other big stuff that happened when they were talking about it in the beta period was the multiple monitor support where you could keep the loop view on one monitor and the grid view on the other monitor. It looks like there are plugins that are going to be available for it. Easier volume management, batch processing, output sharpening. One thing that I need to play with it, and I haven't seen if this is in there or not yet. So if any of the listeners know, I would love to be able to export my images with my logo over the bottom right-hand corner of, right. of my images. If that's in there, I'm going to be loving it You're because cool. right now I'm using a little droplet and an action that's in Photoshop. So, But if, if I could do that all in, in Lightroom, I'd love that. There you go. I, I think I might have seen that already in there. We'll wait and get that checked out. I don't have the facts. Cool. It even has keyword recommendations. So for those of you out there that are doing stock photography, that might be useful. Because isn't it true that there's a plug-in for Lightroom for iStock Photo? Yes, there is a plug-in for Lightroom that goes right into... Uh, iStock Photo. I haven't played with it too much. I think I played with it at one point, but as it looks like I can do more refinement with maybe even taking my images straight out of Lightroom directly into iStock, I might be looking at using that thing a little bit more. Sure. (laughs) That kind of reminds me of a funny thing that someone brought to our attention this morning. Speaking of iStock, (laughs) I don't know if it's one of you listeners out there or not, but in a Bangkok newspaper, a stock image of mine was featured in the same article as a stock image of yours. <laughs> That's odd. Do we have listeners in Bangkok? I don't know. It could have been related to the show, but I don't, maybe not. It was pretty funny, though. It was pretty funny. It's kind of neat that two of our images ended up side by side in the same design. So either people know that we're friends or it just so happens that they found two images that had similar concepts or similar design to them. They were themed similarly. But they yes, weren't from the same a- shoot or anything like that. I mean, sometimes we shoot together. It wasn't like that. Wasn't oh my gosh, they were like years apart. Yeah, so it's pretty funny. Anyway. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Good times. You had forwarded me right before the show an article in Pop Photo Magazine. It's actually on popphoto.com. It's called The Photographer's Guide to the Eye. And it looks like there have been some scientific studies that USC had an iLab. I wonder if they had an Apple trademark that one because it's a little <laughs> piece I, capital L. And they use these tracking eye movement in photos and kind of getting some how images are composed and how people tend to view an image. So and that's uh, always interesting to take a look at the science of things and see you know how you can apply your creative knowledge to it. Yeah, it was really interesting. And if you guys check out the link, which we'll put in the show notes, I recommend going at least to the second or third page in the article because there's some practical stuff there too. Just some facts about what they noticed in the research. Like obviously faces draw attention first. So if you have a face in the image, people tend to look at it right away. And just other things like that that seem like common sense, but to see the science behind it was really enlightening. I don't know why, but I can see Mark Robert Halper quoting a lot of these things. And always in my head, I always picture him saying about, you know, if the closest eye is not in focus, then it's blown. Right. Yeah, that's true. So these are unintentional Mark Robert Halperisms, I guess we could call them. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) 
Uh, one other thing on the article is on page four, it looks like there's some really interesting videos that I need to sit and actually go through them, but they look like they analyze the eye movement of them. So yeah. those should be cool. Yeah, and they play back where the eye actually went. That is really neat. Cool. I've been actually seeing a lot of this lately with some design blogs. They were actually, um, this is probably like the new trend out there in the usability experts because I keep seeing a lot of analyzing website design and tracking eye flow and things like that. So there must be like some new software out there that all these scientists are playing with. Right. We'll have to get our hands on some. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like fun, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you have one other item that you wanted to mention. Well, yeah. You well, were, actually, you were trying to talk me into something. I actually need, yeah, I need the listener's help because, uh, okay, I'm just going to say this. I used to make fun of Twitter all the time until I actually started to, to be on Twitter. And it's really, it's, <laughs> I'm finding it to be really useful, but it's more fun when your friends are on Twitter. So I was just going to see if anybody out there in our audience was also on Twitter and wanted Ed to Twitter along with me. <laughs> you can already, you can, our stream, and you, you're welcome to tweet on my stream, which is twitter.com slash studio lighting. And that'll be kind of the official studiolighting.net Twitter feed where I'm not repeating articles in Twitter. I think that's kind of annoying, but I am dropping little things about the podcast and stuff that we're doing along the way. So if you guys are into it, you know, check it out and maybe you can help me get Ed on board as well. And <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm still finding it very hard to describe to people what Twitter is and why it's actually something they should care about. So maybe our audience can help me out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens with me. I'm not sure that I'm quite grasping the whole. Uh, it's always one of those things that I feel like I should be doing, but I'm just not quite there yet. I'm with you. I started two weeks ago just to see if I could dig it, and I found it to be really useful. It depends who you follow and how much you share, how much you don't. But anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. Maybe I'll start a little forum discussion in the Flickr group, see if anybody can help me out here. So now if you are a Twitter fan, are you a tweeter? I don't know all the verbs. <laughs> <laughs> a post is a tweet, so I guess you could be a tweeter, maybe. I don't know. Or a Twitter or twit. Just a plain or old twit. twit. You're a twit. You're a twit. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called a twit before. There you go. So you're on your way. All right. Well, we should probably get to the interview with Nick Gunk and go, go twit about that. <laughs> and on this edition of The Light Source, we have with us this evening, Nick Onken. Nick, you might be one of my uh, new favorite photographers just looking through some of your work. It's amazing. I love the lighting that you do with everything and your processing. It's really great. I also love the about page of your website because it really sums everything up into one really concise mission statement, I guess, if you want to say it. It says, Nick Onken, photographer. Nick loves to make photographs. And that's really about all it needs to say, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I started out with a little bit longer bio and uh, it just all sounds kind of cheesy to me. So, you know, I kind of <laughs> spin one line. <laughs> it really comes across because it looks like you really enjoy the work that you're doing. The final product is really very cool. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the types of photography that you do. We've had commercial photographers, portrait photographers. Where would you label yourself as a photographer? You know, I guess I would probably label myself as a lifestyle photographer, but then that translates into a few different things. I mean, lifestyle is everything, every day walks of life. So, I mean, that can translate into everything we do to travel and lifestyle fashion and even like lifestyle portraiture, which I kind of run the gamut from portraits to lifestyle to lifestyle fashion 
travel photography kind of blends together. One thing Bill and I were saying about before we started the show here is that everything looks like it is literally just like a slice out of everyday life. How much of your work is directed versus things that are found? Well, all of my lifestyle work and portrait work is all directed. My travel work is all more documentary lifestyle. So sometimes I have the opportunity when I'm traveling to interact with the subject, but a lot of times it's kind of being a fly on the wall and capturing moments as I'm going about, as I'm walking around and that type of thing. So I imagine a lot of your stuff is also very natural lit as well. Yeah, I mean, I would say probably 95 to 98% of what you're seeing on the website is naturally lit. It's great. Amazing. They are amazing. So let me ask you this before we get too far along. How would you define a good lifestyle image? I mean, you make a lot of really good lifestyle images. Is there like a certain moment that you look for or what would be kind of your definition of a great shot when you feel like you got one? It is that moment, and it's usually the moment before or after the actual moment that you're going for, or that I would be going for. I mean, it's like when you want somebody to smile, you tell a joke, but it's like after they actually really laugh is that moment that I'm usually trying to catch, or in any other situation. It's the reaction to the direction a lot of times, I would say is kind of what sets it apart. It gives it that edge. A lot of people have talked about my photography when you compare it to a lot of other lifestyle photographers. There's some sort of edge. There's some sort of moment that's that's different about it. And I think that's where I would place it. Now, do you find yourself taking a lot of frames during a session, especially the ones that you're directing? How do you make sure you get that moment? Are you just shooting a lot or are you actually waiting for it? You know, a lot of it's waiting, but a lot of it's shooting a lot too. It's funny, I was, we're just in Latin America shooting with Nike and everybody was like making fun of me because it's like one more time, one more time, one more time. And it's really what it takes. You know, you got to shoot it over and over and over again until you, until you nail that moment. If I'm having somebody, you know, like we did running, Nike running stuff. So I'd probably do it like five or six times, have them run through the same frame, the same frame. So yeah, a lot of it comes from repetition and then you know you wait for that moment to snap the camera now when you're doing some of your directed stuff you mentioned the flare and in, in your image the edge that you have but i think another thing that comes through really loud and clear is just how natural the people look and how comfortable they look with the camera which is you know with you do you spend a lot of time connecting with your subjects it almost looks like they're all your your friends like how do you pull that off <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love people. And I think the more comfortable you can make your subject feel by talking to them before or just asking them questions, you know, making them feel really comfortable, then you'll get them comfortable in front of the camera. You know, I'm a pretty laid back personality when it comes to, to hanging out with people. So a lot of it feels like, you know, hey, we're just hanging out and snap, snap, there's your images. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that's that feeling that you're seeing there is is the rapport and just kind of hanging out. It really comes through well in your shots. Thanks. Now, in terms of some of your equipment, I noticed that a lot of your images have some really amazing depth of field and I guess I should say a shallow depth of field to the images. What sorts of equipment do you work with typically? Well, I shoot with the Canon 1DS Mark III, which I just picked up in January. And I mean, I love that camera. Most of the, the whole Canon line, I would say is just, it gives you a certain look and a certain feel and the lenses definitely make a huge difference. You know, I would say to anybody, it's your lenses that are going to give you the best picture that you can get. 
So what are some of your favorite lenses that you work with? My absolute favorite when I'm working with a subject doing lifestyle photography portraits is the 35 millimeter f1.4, the L-series lens. And then I use different lenses. Like if I'm doing travel photography, I'll throw my 20 2.8 and my 35 1.4 and my 70 200 2.8 in my bag and, and just go out. They have different uses. The 7200 obviously is for, I call it my sniper lens. So I can shoot from far away, capture moments when people aren't really paying attention to the camera or I can't really get in and interact with the subject is when I use that lens. The 35, obviously I use that when I can be interacting with the subject and I can kind of pull off more travel lifestyle look. And then the 20 millimeter is just the great lens for landscapes and like more dynamic documentary feel. No, I assume a lot of your stuff is like obviously on location and outdoors, but it seems like you still have a good handling and control on light that you have. How do you do that? Do you use a lot of reflectors and other types of equipment or are you looking for the right light in the first place? Most of it is looking for the right light. And my favorite light is backlit, obviously. I'm, I'm sure you noticed by the images, but sometimes I'll pull out a foam core a reflector. Sometimes I'll have a 12 by silk. If it's a more commercial shoot and we've got a lot of assistance and enough space and we're shooting in the middle of the day. But for the most part, I try to shoot, you know, morning light or dusk light. It's just the best part of the day to shoot. I'll bring out a couple big pieces of foam core if I've got an assistant. But if not, usually I'll just shoot it without any reflectors. Generally, when you're looking for locations, look for like open shade or what would really get you excited to see a location that you want to shoot in? It's going to be that sunset light, the hour before sunset. Say if I'm shooting on the beach, how the where the sun's going to set, usually it's going to backlight from one end or the other. Sometimes there'll be some trees, sometimes there'll be some rock formations that'll kind of cover up the sun, but you can still get that flare if you move the subject in the right spot. Okay, so they're actually in the shadow of something typically, but you can still have the sunlight coming through. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it kind of depends on what time you're at. Like the closer you get to sunset, the more out in the open you can shoot. It's kind of like using the trees, the formations to block, to flag the lens. I'm kind of laughing because I just got back from the beach and I was struggling through that whole two hours of great sun at the end of the day trying to get some portraits. <laughs> and So I'm completely interested in what you're saying right now. Yeah, a lot of times when the sun gets down to about the last hour, you can use the subject to actually block the sun. Wow. And then you know, a lot of times I'll lock focus and then move just slightly after that lock the focus to get the sun to blast through and, and give it a nice flare. That's great. Now with the flare, is it you're shooting digitally, so you have access to see what's going on with the flare right on the camera. Is that how you make your judgments in terms of positioning the flare and all of that? Yeah, yeah. And I've gotten kind of used to knowing how much to move to where you're slightly letting the, the sun blast through. Sometimes I don't even let it blast through. It just comes from behind and backlights. The whole thing depends on what I'm going for. That's really cool. But yeah, looking at the back of the camera is what I look at to kind of see where I'm at with the image. And I've gotten used to enough to where I could probably shoot one or two shots and have the exposure dialed in where I want it. That's great. Now, another thing that I learned, because I don't live by the beach, so another hard lesson that I learned was that the sand is nasty on on my equipment. <laughs> How do you deal with that? Do you have trouble at all in that area? Well, uh, I tend to not put my camera in the sand. <laughs> well, like tripods and everything. It was just light stands were getting destroyed. It was just a really interesting environment. Yeah, I mean, A, I don't even own a tripod. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and B, yeah, exactly. And I never really pull out any lighting on the beach. Usually it's just me and a camera and a, maybe a piece of foam core if I have it. That's so cool. 
I'm just now starting to integrate a little bit of lighting into my style and my images, but none of that stuff is probably even up on the website quite yet. The people that I was with were making fun of me because I had put a plastic bag and zipped it shut over my camera and it was hanging on my shoulder the whole time like that. (laughs) (laughs) I have a bag that I carry my lenses in so I can be pretty mobile and then the camera's just over my shoulder. I'll hold it in my hand if I'm like running around in the water or try to just be aware of where I'm at and what I'm walking on. uh, Knock on wood, I've never fallen in yet, so... (laughs) (laughs) Come close. I've come close. I imagine you would. With the location shooting that you're doing, do you find yourself scouting a lot? Sometimes, but not very often. I mean, a lot of times I'm usually just, I'll get on a location and just scout 10 minutes before I'm shooting and and come up with ideas, you know, figure out what I want to shoot. And then a lot of it just happens on the fly. A lot of it kind of wouldn't working with the models or the people. You, You kind of feel them out out what they're comfortable with and then kind of put them in a position and then it's a lot about seeing what you want to do on the fly now how did you get started with doing photography did there was this something that you did in art school or growing up and did you have an affinity for it or i actually never took any classes i took a couple required classes but i actually studied graphic design in high school and college and i did graphic design for about five years probably about three and a half years into my freelance designing i bought a digital camera just to have just to create content for my design work and I was taking pictures through some images up on my website and then I ended up convincing a nonprofit client of mine to split a trip to Africa and shoot and I had no idea (laughs) (laughs) I was surprised they took me up on it but they did and I got back and I got some really great images and they were happy and I was like man I could consider doing this as a career So uh, after that, it took me, you know, another eight months before I really started even thinking seriously about it. And I ended up running into meeting up with another photographer and he invited me out on set. And after a short period of time, started assisting for him and I assisted with him for about a year while still doing my design work and kind of starting to shoot my own work. So now how long would you say that you've been doing your own as lead photographer type work? I would say full time, two years, part time for a year and a half before that. Wow, that's really impressive to have done it in that short of a time and have a a portfolio and client list like you have. Yeah, I feel blessed. That's terrific. What is it like working for commercial clients compared to the stuff that you were doing for your own design work? Do you feel any difference there? You know, I think graphic design never came as naturally. I was good at it, but it never came as naturally as photography does. And my eye is just naturally more commercial. So I see things a lot more commercially, which makes it easier to work with commercial clients. It depends on what I'm doing, you know, the relationships that you've built. The guys with Nike, it's become pretty good, I guess, relaxed relationships. So, you know, they love my work and they trust me and we just go out and we shoot and we pull off all the stuff that they want and great images. That's really cool. I'm imagining the kind of clients that you deal with give you a lot of freedom. Do you find that typically or or do they come and say, okay, we need, you know, these six shots and this is what we're thinking? It depends. Uh, Nike's been very free. You get a shot list, you get, but it's kind of like, hey, put this together. And I think a lot of that is derived, you know, the jobs that I'm getting now are derived from my portfolio. And it's all about creating a style for yourself and showing what you want to shoot and what you do shoot. And eventually people will hire you for that. Then that's when your creative freedom is greater. Okay. 
that kind of reminds me of one of the comments that one of your friends, Chase Jarvis, had said on the show is like, you shoot what he wants to shoot and the clients will kind of follow after that. Like if you shoot cool ninjas, you know, maybe <laughs> someone will give you a call and you'll be shooting ninjas. Yeah, it's, it's very true. And that's the way the industry works. And I've talked to a lot of different photographers and consultants and art buyers. And a lot of people think that you have to throw everything in your book and be so diverse, which actually makes you less marketable as a photographer mm. because people won't know where to place you. They won't know what you shoot. They don't, they won't know what you're really good at. The art buyers want to see what you're good at and what you can handle and how you shoot it. What's your approach? And all that comes through in your portfolio. So that's great advice. Another thing that Ed and I both noticed in your images is that you seem to have a really good ability for catching motion. Some of your images are really dynamic. It just feels like you're really in the moment. Do you pre-visualize how you're going to frame and compose the shot and then have the runner run by with just his hips? I mean, how do you really get that yeah. to introduce that? A lot of times with the running stuff, they're running, I'm using the 20 millimeter or it's more they're running by the camera, set the camera on the auto all servo focus and rapid shot and just have them run, frame it and rapid shoot, fire off five or 10 frames as they're running by. And then I'll have them do it over and over and over again until I get that moment that, you know, that moment that I'm looking for. That's great. Some of the other ones that I was wondering, like you have, if we're on Nick's site, which is nickonken.com, it's nickonken.com, there's an advertising portfolio section, and there's a, a couple images in particular that I'm wondering about. Like there's a, a woman in a blue hoodie, kind of like kicking in the sand as the water's coming up, and there's a, another one towards the end of that where there's people dancing and and things like that. Do you kind of set up a scenario like this and, and tell someone, all right, I want you to be in this pose? Or do you just kind of say, you're on the beach having fun and you're doing just kind of like letting them go and doing their own thing? Yeah, you uh, you nailed it. It's it's more about setting the scenario and getting them to feel free doing what they're doing. And I'll set them, you know, I'll have them say, okay, why don't you just kind of dance? And, you know, if, usually it's a girl. Right. <laughs> have them kind of dance and, and twirl around and kind of get in their own world. And a lot of times I'll have music on set just to really get them in the mood. And then it's just kind of setting that scenario and following them around and composing as they're moving and I'm kind of moved with them. Another thing that I was going to ask you about was it seems like several of your images, you just kind of allow the exposure to be such that the sky is just kind of white. It seems like you have really good control over the skies and the different levels of exposure in that tricky lighting environment. It depends on if I'm backlit or if I'm frontlit or sidelit. If there's clouds, the clouds will definitely bring down the exposure differently than if it was just bright sunlight, which I prefer shooting. Like in Hawaii, North Shore of Oahu is amazing. That's where that shot where the, the girl's got her hands up and she's in the water, like kicking the water. It's like half clouds and half sun, and it just makes this really silvery light, which gives you some exposure in the sky, not completely, and will give you that blown out look in the center and then a little bit dark on the edges. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you do a lot of post-processing on your images or do you generally try to nail it on the card? I'm generally all about nailing it in the card, especially with natural light. Most of my post-processing is adding a little bit of contrast and that's that's about it. You know, shooting raw, obviously. But I usually turn down all my settings in the camera, no contrast, no sharpening or anything, and then leave that to, I use Capture One to do my post. Okay my initial posts, and then I'll go to Photoshop after that. But most of what I do is just adding a little bit of contrast. And it's all about the lighting that's coming into the camera at the moment that you're shooting. So when you get in some of these tricky exposure situations, do you meter at all? Or are you just kind of seeing what it looks like as you go? 
I think when I first started, I used a light meter, which, which helped me a lot to like a lot more understand exposure. And I mean, I would recommend that to anybody that's kind of starting out and shooting with natural light. You're always metering back to the camera and you visually looking at it on the light meter, you know, what your settings are, and then you have to set your camera manually to those settings. For me now, I've gotten so used to just, I know I use the meter in the camera and I know typically on the lighting scenario, how much I have to be overexposed or right on the meter. If I'm shooting direct light, it's going to be right on the meter, maybe a third of a stop over. If I'm shooting backlit, it's going to be a lot of times two stops over. And I just kind of have an instinct now of when I'm looking through the camera and like I can assess the whole frame and kind of figure it out from there and then snap a couple of shots and usually dial it in within one or two clicks. It's great. I was curious what it was like to shoot with big. <laughs> Robin big. Robin big, yeah. Robin Big, man, they're great. I would say Meaty was my favorite, the Bulldog. But I went to their house for about an hour, and I shoot really fast. I can shoot really fast on the fly. And, I mean, you see that whole story. I shot that in probably an hour. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> but they're great. I mean, they're really cool people. Big is just like this. He's a big teddy bear. You know, he's he's just laid back and pokes fun at himself and has a good time. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I was laughing when I saw those pictures before we got into the interview. I have a couple coworkers that are just really taken with them and just love the show. For your travelism section, which I love that name, when you do travel photos, do you find yourself in a different mindset? When you're, you know, what are you looking for when you're sort of doing your photojournalistic kind of hanging out? Yeah, the travelism, I guess, is more. These are kind of been more set up shots rather than documentary, and kind of oriented more towards like a travel, like a tourism travel market. Whereas the, I guess you'd see the personal section is more of my documentary travel photography, and which is a completely different mindset than the lifestyle travel. Right. Do you find yourself switching back and forth easily? I mean, are you waking up one morning and going out to get some commercial shots versus... Yeah, the commercial shots definitely take a little bit more planning. You have to get models. You have to sometimes get hair and makeup. The nice thing is, is I shoot pretty raw. I shoot pretty, uh, I don't always need hair and makeup, although it's it's nice. It depends on what the shoot is. If I'm shooting stock, it's a little bit more raw, so I don't need hair and makeup as much, or the model can do their own. Uh, whereas if I'm shooting more of advertising and editorial stuff, I'll definitely have a makeup artist. Very cool. Now, do you do a lot of stock work? You know, I do a little bit of it. I don't want to be a stock shooter, but I do want to keep that as part of my business and just kind of keep throwing logs in that fire. Uh, so I'll shoot a few images here and there. A lot of my travel stuff I've been dumping into a stock library. They're not quite up yet. I'm working with Masterfile, but it takes it's such a long process. I just signed with them a few months ago and it takes from the time that you submit the images to editing, you know, have them editing, you know, the process is three to six months to even get them up on their on their website. Wow. Now you also mentioned a little bit before the interview that you signed a book deal. What's that all about? Yeah, I uh, back in November, I, I got contacted by a publisher about writing a travel photography kind of how-to book. And so we spent a few months working on the pitch, creating what we see for the vision of the book and how I want to do it, what I want to do with images versus telling stories. And I guess like we're doing this interview now, it's going to be kind of similar. And I find that I learn by seeing other people work, by finding out how other photographers 
make their images how they light and that kind of thing. So this travel book is going to be very much like that. I'll show images and then I'll kind of tell the story around those images. And then I'll have those little journals will be spread out throughout the book between like the actual practical tip sections and how-to sections and stuff like that. So we're just in the middle of signing that deal right now. And then I got to write it, which is going to take me at least six months and then, you know, another year until it actually hits Barnes and Nobles. That's great. Cool. It sounds like it's going to be a really great book. I'm super excited because travel photography is is one of my favorite types of photography. So when I get to travel and, and shoot, I get to marry the, the two of my passions. It's really cool. You also have a blog, which I think is pretty cool. You got a lot of really good content in your blog as well. Do you find yourself doing more kind of video as you shoot? Are you recording your, your sessions a little bit here and there? I am trying to do that on the bigger shoots and we just did a 17 day job in Latin America for Nike and I had a video guy filming the whole thing and we edited a nice little three minute piece and had some custom music done for it and you can find that on the blog we just posted a few days ago and just give you a really good feel of what it's like to be on set with me and kind of want to use it as a promo and you know to give clients an idea because a lot of why clients hire you besides your work is what your service is going to be like what's it like to be on set with that person that photographer and you know what kind of vibe is it and how are you servicing the clients and i'm really starting to get into the behind the scenes videos so i'll be be doing a lot more of those that's great you have to keep us updated and we'll we'll do our best to send folks your way because that's great information i absolutely agree that that's a great way to learn i noticed that you had a blog post about backing up on location which i thought was pretty cool the way that you approached that can you give some of our more technical listeners a quick rundown on how you handle that yeah a lot of it depends on the job but the nike job is three different countries you know and and four cities so i basically took seven drives i believe it was and about 100 to 120 gigs a piece. So I would double up every day for all the images we shot. And then second or third day in each country, I would throw the whole thing on OneDrive from that country. And then I'll FedEx it back after we're finished with that country, FedEx it back to the States, you know, so we're, we're triple backed. Wow. And I mean, backing up is, you have to do it. I won't erase a card unless I have two copies of it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're talking thousands of dollars, and if you lose it, you're in a world of hurt. Absolutely. Your blog is just full of great content. I'm actually just kind of paging through as as we're talking about it. This is a, a terrific destination for photographers just curious about the process. So appreciate you doing that, man. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, the the goal of the blog is to really, you know, help starting photographers and kind of shed a light into my world and offer any advice that I can. Well, we appreciate it. And we appreciate you coming on the show, too. This has been great, man. Just a chance to pick your brain a little bit. Well, thanks. If you had advice to give to someone who's just starting out, just you kind of a one-liner, what would you tell them? I would say keep shooting, shoot what you love, and figure out what you love by shooting and create a style, a specific style. There you go. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Nick. Thanks for hanging out with us. This has been great. Thank you. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other Light Source episodes at the website studiolighting.net. And you can also send us an email comment at studiolighting at gmail.com when you can send us comments, questions, or just images that you'd like us to see. And if you really want to get involved with some of the other listeners to the show, you can head over to the Light Source Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash Light Source. 
you can post your images and get feedback on your photography as well as seeing the things that we're taking pictures of. And as always, if you missed any of these links, our quick outro here, you can find all of that and more at www.studiolighting.net. Till next time. Bye-bye. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.